Oh boy. Oh, the music's playing. Yeah. Titty, titty, toodles. Scoodly dye, titty, doodles. You know why I'm scatting? You know why I'm scatting today? No. Uh, this guest we have today, most people know him as a writer and a producer. This guy can scat. What? <laughs> Better than. I, I have, yeah, I have fairly, I'm fairly sure. Mm. You have mistaken me for somebody else. Hey, that hey, is proof that I did it. not mistake him for someone else. <laughs> Good Lord. Elliot, we got it. Listen, he's had a long, hard week at work. Yeah, yep, yep. The last thing he needs is a lot of lollygagging. Yeah. Or pussyfooting. Or pussyfooting. Yeah. Or lollyfooting. Right. Any of the and synonyms I, for delay? Yeah. Or? <laughs> yeah. But last thing, a lot of um, dilly-dallying. Dilly-dallying. Also yeah. not my friend. Not nope. in this particular situation. No. Nope. But the first thing he needs yeah. is a drink in his gullet. Okay. Yes, sir, All right. So we're going to rapid fire introduce the hell out of this show. All right. Yeah. Are you prepared? I, no. No, I'm, well, not I'm, I'm, I'm doing it anyway. Okay, yeah, ladies I'm not, and gentlemen, I'm not ready? Yeah, Ooh. production assistants and executive producers, welcome oh. to another episode of Day Drinking with Gary and Elliot. I am oh, your host, boy. Elliot Blake. Sitting across from me is my equa host, Gary Anthony Williams. Hey, that's me. That is you. Oh, thank you, Elliot. You're welcome. Now, for longtime listeners of this show, in, for the last however, what, I think a, this is I think a minute episode, and a half. Oh, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're talking about from the beginning of this oh, yeah, show. Yeah, okay. uh, the very beginning of this show. Yeah. This episode. Yeah. Uh, Long, this yeah. show. It's so great right we built now. this audience up after over the last minute and a half. It feels we, like we really built something. It's we just, did. Yeah. I think nice. we did. We're makers. Yeah. Yeah. We're makers. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, this guy, I want to say he's my best friend, except for one thing. Yeah. We have never met. But I feel a lot of potential here. I yeah. feel a lot oh. of, there's a little tension here. I, no. I think there's like a, like a little, like, I don't know, maybe it's sexual, maybe it's platonic. I don't know. But I there's, think there is a, a, there's a voltage. There's yeah. A, yeah, like a, a voltage differential between the two of us that's waiting to mm-hmm. discharge. Frankly, I don't know the difference in platonic uh, or... Well, it depends. Yeah. Like, let's see. I don't, I don't let's know. see where the, where the pants are after let's we get the drinks in us. Yeah, they, this will be pantless. Yeah. Would you like to do the honors of just his name? I, I always do. I will, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome to the show, John, John Rogers. Rogers. Thank you I very want, much. I'll get a little applause. That's I nice. really wanted it to be in stereo. Oh, well, is there I a way? Is there it. a way you can do that? Uh, I think I just I, I did it. Just did. Oh, nice. oh yeah. man, you should have heard my. I'm the right ear. He's the left. Oh, there you go. All right, nice. John, welcome. Thank you very much. It's a <laughs> lovely studio here. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> it was built it. for you. It's got a, it's got a view. It's got yeah. a lot of stuff. It's yeah. nice. Yeah. Uh, you can overlook. See that house right behind? I don't know if you can see it. Yeah. $3.35 million. That one? Yeah. And it overlooks my backyard and a car wash. Wow. They nice. got screwed. They did not. They, <laughs> they, they heard view. Yeah. And they are like, oh, a view in the hills. Well, yeah. let's get that. Is someone in, occupying that house? Yeah. Oh, it's bought. It yeah. is bought and sold by someone with a lot of money. That's interesting because you look at it. We could really just go out your go out your back exit yeah. here, hop across the top of that building, and jump right on that balcony on the other side there. I'm going to build a slide that That's slides nice. right. That have a nice pool back there. Yeah, oh. I'm going to slide right into their pool. I know. And that's and then you just need like a little motion detector or something, so when you know they're coming home, just like oh, gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? 
I'm the kind of fuzzy, friendly neighbor. They'll let me hang oh, out for man. a while. Yeah, there's nothing, nothing better to come home and just find a guy in your pool. That's so, nothing yeah. more relaxing. I, if I came home, yeah, and there's some dude floating around in my pool, yeah, face up, face down, difference, oh, face up. All right, okay, there you okay, go. That okay. is yeah. yeah. But he used to be face down. Now. You got to call your manager, <laughs> yeah. and it's like I did the bad thing again. Yeah. And you gotta <laughs> drive something out to the desert. Uh, you got to have an alibi. It becomes sound. a whole thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He sounds like he has a history of. Finding well, people. I Look, sometimes yeah. hitchhikers just won't stop crying. Oh. <laughs> Too soon. Too soon. Too soon. Wow. If you knew Too what happened to what? me earlier today. Uh, you, were, you wait, you murdered Too a hitchhiker? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. There you go. Uh, speaking of murdering, this young fellow, uh, here I go with my segues, <laughs> yeah. All right. has been murdering the entertainment industry. There's some there's some people who say I've certainly committed crimes. <laughs> Here's, here's what struck me immediately upon you walking in my door. And right. you can let the people know. It's gold-plated. I, I make no bones about I, it. I have, I have been in... I was in Jennifer Lopez's house a couple weeks ago. Yep. I have been in Chris Tucker's house. <laughs> yep. And I have to say that yep. the, the opulence yes. here dwarfs all that I have beheld in other <sighs> places in Hollywood. It was... I was a little... I was, I was a little almost overwhelmed to come in the door. I was literally open the door. I was like, whoa, I don't... Okay. And yeah. I normally have a piggyback man. A yeah, piggyback man. Uh, uh, so the fine that. British tradition of piggybackman. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. people people know footmen. A lot of <laughs> yeah. people don't know the piggybackman. The piggybackman. Yeah. Yes. Normally, there's a guy there waiting for you. That's with nice. you know, I know that you like to wear a lot of um, what are those breeches called? Breeches. Uh, yeah, yeah, breeches. <laughs> <Or> yes. <laughs> well, I like Santa the Lutes. I like the jodhpur. I like a good 1700s oh, yeah. British sure. riding uh, jodhpur. Sure. So what? like kind of kind of full around the the, the hips yeah. and then yeah. tight and buttoned really tightly along the inner thigh and, and crotch. Sure. Okay. So you know that's that's the look. Okay. Here's the deal. Yeah. The, the jo- look. We got to get to your storied. At we got to get. Point, we got to get yeah. to. We got. We already started chitting and chatting. That's true. We've already started doing yeah. it. You still got to make him a I, drink. I do. But before we get to the drink, I gotta ask. I gotta ask John what he sure. thinks. This whole jodhpur thing, yes. because it was very loose thigh, now and then, and also at the calf area, it, it was, was just buttoned skin in. tight yeah, at super the calf. Tight. Yeah. Yeah. They brought that look back with the with the modern britches, modern yes. exercise britches. They yeah. got that skin skin thing. Yeah. But what do you reckon? And you do a lot of reckoning. I do. I I pretty much get paid to sit around and reckon. Yeah. No, and, and by the way, we're going to pay you handsomely for being. Uh, you know, today. I would be feel badly if you didn't, considering the the almost obscene wealth I saw on display while passing through the estate. I, I and I feel weird about it. I bought a convertible just so I can. I put a bunch of money on the back seat. Yeah, I roll down the top of the convertible, and it's a roll top convertible. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. And I just drive, and I let the bills fly, fly where the they back. may. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, what would you back reckon? To the community. Yeah. What would you reckon, Johnny Raj? May I call you the Rodster? Whatever you want to call me, it's your house, <laughs> Mister Rodster. What would you reckon was the reason for all that voluminous material at the top of those jog purse? You know, I don't know because it wasn't in the front where you might want a little extra give. It was no. all on the side. Yeah. So you know, I think it is one of those things where you'd have to ask somebody and some expert in period costuming yeah. or gear why they did that. Yeah. Because look, there's a lot of things about clothing we uh, people don't know or we don't know now like for example high heels used to be menswear not women's wear they were descended from cavalry boots it, which so, makes sense yes so you know pink for example was a man's color all the way up through the, the 1900s so it, i'm it, sure it ha- there's pink has made a, pink has made has a, comeback. Made a comeback yes yeah. absolutely yeah. but i i think that probably there's somebody out there listening right now some jodhpur 
uh, expert. Yeah. Saw John Perarian. John Perist. Uh, John Perist. Mm-hmm. Yes, I believe you're, you, that. Of course, you're a professional <laughs> podcaster. You would know the word. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't. Uh, who is right now like screaming like, "How could you not know the history of John Perist?" Well, but I admit, I am. I am. I'm stymied in Buffalo, gentlemen. Okay. As wow. the, well, yeah. if you Buffalo. are a Jod Parise and yes. you know the answer and you are that person that is screaming, go yeah. right ahead and email us <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. at daydrinkingwithgaryandelliot at gmail.com. No one has, but you should. <laughs> yeah, you should yeah. be so, the first. You know, okay. you can send us a pigeon also. Elliot, that's fine. I'm going yeah. to... I, I'm going to keep an eye out for pigeons. You okay. know, I'm a birdman. I yep. love birds. I did, yes. Uh, we need to get started on making... I say we, I mean the anti-royal we right i mean yeah. you because i yep. have no skills in drink making that is uh i you know we've we've made margaritas together you I don't taught know. me how to make a margarita uh, yeah that's true okay. um so okay yes yeah. so john i asked you uh what's your day drinking go to day drink would be an old-fashioned an old-fashioned a little, a little uh little sweetness to it a little tartness to it it's a uh, bourbon which is it's hard to find a bad bourbon that in is LA, true. los angeles yeah. anyway so uh, yeah. i uh, you know it takes a little bit of skill you gotta you know mull some stuff yep so yeah all uh, right i'm looking forward to it well i am gonna make no. it an old-fashioned i now i i like to do things the way we do things on the show is uh i find out what the go-to drink is mm-hmm. and then i will usually look into my book uh, that I wrote, uh, Create 100 Cocktails at Home Bar Guys, Deep Dive into the Art of Cocktail Creation. Nice. That's on Amazon. Um, which is on Amazon. And I, if you're a I'm PDF. I'm picking that up right oh, now. I did oh. not know that book existed. I'm like, I'll hand take you, a look at that. There you th- go. There it is. You can I'm peruse copy. that. Like um, uh, and Or if you're a PDF person, you can get it on that on uh, gumroad.com. But uh, so I will usually look in there and find something that is along the same lines as the uh, our guests. A lot uh, of variations of this particular book. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, very yeah. much so. But... For this one, I came up with something new. Oh, because I'm looking forward to this. Because I uh, I got uh, uh, over the holidays, I got a little handheld uh, smoker, and, really? which is not here. The, it is but, interesting. Uh, the the traditional of smoked meat uh, as a garnish, any sort of meat was a garnish for bourbon is, uh, and particularly old fashions is I have seen before. Uh, yeah, uh, I have seen in some high scale restaurants. So I'm oh, like, yeah. very impressed you're, you're going here. So oh, he, oh, I, he's going. Oh, he's uh, so going. So I got some applewood chips because I thought that would be a nice uh, oh, wow, compliment nice. to the yeah. to the bourbon. Mm. And I so I I uh, smoked some bourbon. So what I and and <laughs> I, I said like you smoked some meat and used as a garnish. You have no, smoked the no, bourbon. I no, smoked yes, the yeah, bourbon. No. So I put the bourbon meat. in a bottle. No, not at all. I put the bourbon in a bottle. Well, Gary's vegan, so I'm not going to meet him. So I put the bourbon in a bottle. I filled it with smoke. I let it sit there. Nice. Gave it, a, gave it a shake to incorporate it. Yeah. I also made a uh, smoked, uh, an applewood smoked simple syrup. Wow. And nice. that was an interesting process. And what I did for that is I put the, uh, the the raw sugar in the bottom of a pot, and I filled the pot with the smoke, and I just let it sit there for a while until the smoke dissipated. Interesting. And it, and, uh, it infused the... Uh, did it retain? Did it, it retain did. the flavor? It did. Nice. And I've never I heard just, somebody smoking simple syrup before. I, uh, really cool. I, never, I looked it up, and I had not seen it, and I thought, well, I wonder You've if been, I... Maybe I, you invented it. Maybe. Thing. I don't so know. But I this, thought, yeah! In this, um, in this world of, of derivative uh, you know, chicanery, <laughs> the fact that you have actually forged some new drink ingredient, some new but I, uh, but yeah, then I just added the water and made it the simple, made the simple syrup, and it, and it came out uh, both sweet and smoky. So nice. I'm so looking forward to this now. So what we're gonna do is uh, I'm gonna make uh, and the the other interesting component to this is yes. that uh, usually the way I make it, it uh, an old fashioned, it's two ounces of bourbon mm-hmm. and the simple syrup and some muddled orange uh, or orange peel, and mm-hmm. that's it. It's very simple and some bit and bitters, of course, yes. uh, and it's a very simple drink. Uh, because of the applewood, I wanted to introduce another apple component. So we're going to put a half ounce of uh, Laird's straight apple brandy in there. I've never had that. Uh, 
that's this stuff is brilliant. All right. So uh, I think you're gonna like it. All right, let's right. Go to show. I'm gonna get. Nope. To, I'm gonna get to going. Why don't you guys get to chitting immediately, immediately followed, followed by, by it. we shall chat and chat. All right. Uh, here's what I noticed about you first. I was saying when you walked in, okay. uh, because I'm looking down your. I just want to say catalog of amazing things you've and, done, and, and some and some really uh, impressive things to have had my career survive. Well, so really, it's uh, a. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't. It's, wanna, it's it's one of the great things is is like I gotta. If anyone goes like, ah, oh, my movie tanked, my career's over. I'm like, no, nope, no, it isn't, son. Yeah. You'll be fine. <laughs> so, are you telling me right now? Nothing could possibly end a career in Hollywood. You know what? Uh, the same. I think there's pretty much uh, the same rule as Louisiana politics. Uh, dead girl or a live boy is pretty much the pretty much <laughs> the only thing. Is. Uh, you know, I would have said no back in the day, but now, rightfully so, uh, various and sundry scummy dudes are having their uh, yeah, paying come up the price. For their decades of of, of scummery, there, um, there's so, some so comeuppances happening. There is a right lot now. of and and long long overdue. Yeah. So I would have said uh, no, but yes now. Uh, but as far as like failures, you can you go away for a while. But I think I, sometimes I actually do tell the story because because I, I tend to try to be very supportive of people and. and Try to be generous when sharing credit on projects, et cetera. And, and mm-hmm. sometimes it's like, well, you know, you're not insecure about your career. So, well, within one year, uh, I had Catwoman come out, which was the most infamous failure. And I was one of about actually about 20 writers on that, that movie. And I was one of the only four stupid enough to put his name on it. <laughs> and, and then a year later, um, if, if you schedule, because like where I was writing, et cetera, where those sort of things fell out, uh, Transformers came out. Uh-huh. And so I wrote, uh, my, I had my name on the biggest failure of the year, and I had my name on a movie that made a billion dollars, and nothing changed. Wow. And it was like, wow, Thanks. I've had both the extremes of the Hollywood career, nothing changed. I guess this, can I swear? Yep. Go yeah. right ahead. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess this is bullshit. And so I should just relax and do the work and assume that unless I do something really grievously awful or something really, I mean, grievously amazing, my life is not going to get that much measurably better or that much measurably worse. No, and so no. I was able to put my head down, focus yeah. on the work, and not worry too much about whether it was going to work out, which is good because I failed multiple times since then. But here's the beauty. Okay, when you were doing, well, I don't know if this is the beauty or not. It's beautiful for me. Hmm. Cap, I don't know if it deserved to be called a failure. Well, it didn't make any money. I and hear people hated it. it. it I, I, don't know, I don't know what your parameters are. I mean, maybe the, maybe the design aesthetic, but yeah, people didn't like it. People didn't like it, and nobody went to see it. Is generally what? our mark metric for failure in Hollywood. I could watch that movie right now and not think, "Oh, this is a sucky movie." That is not what I would think. Well, you're being distracted right by Halle Berry. Is what's happening right oh, there? Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. Wait, was there a movie going on around? Yeah, her? really, it's Halle Berry in the ripped in in the ripped outfit. Yeah, that's okay, pretty much yeah. what you're focusing on. At that I didn't moment. know that. Look, yeah. and by the way. One of the great things is that, uh, you know, these movies live internationally and Halle Berry with a whip uh, managed to make a lot of money overseas. Yeah. And the difference between my residuals from Catwoman, an infamous failure, and Transformers, uh, a movie that is now on its eighth iteration, is minimal. I have made, because of foreign sales, etc., uh, I have made almost the exact same money from both those movies wow. over the length of their career. Also, that's just filthy, corrupt Hollywood accounting because on failures, <laughs> they don't... They don't. They don't hide the money. But oh. on successes, they oh, hide they the money. Oh, they gotta hide. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. So. so when you were working on Catwoman, you were you said one of twenty writers, but there were, four. They, they had developed. You remember what when the original Batman Returns come out, like nineteen ninety three, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so and Catwoman came out what two thousand five? So somewhere around there. Yeah. So that's that's. Yeah, Transformers. Twelve was like years, two thousand seven. Seven because it was seven 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 was the was the release date. Uh, so yeah. So basically. 
um, 12 years of development. That's a lot of humans. And I always say that actually it's one of the good things because it was one of the lessons of my career and things I wish I'd learned. Uh, that I say I could go back and wish I could tell John, in, John Rogers in his 30s, uh, who got fired a lot in his 30s, was uh, I knew Dan Waters, um, uh, who wrote the, the first one, Batman, where he wrote Heathers and Batman Returns and, 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 of course, a lot of the great, very quirky movies. I knew him in university. And uh, Dan was working on that, the, the Catwoman money, woman movie for a long time after Batman Returns. And uh, he said, this, this movie is completely unmakeable. Just under the current regime at Warner Brothers, uh, this movie is unmakeable. Oh. And the thing I wish I could tell young me is that <laughs> learn the difference between a challenge and a warning. Uh-oh. Because <laughs> a warning is there be monsters here, no one will survive. Uh-huh. And a challenge yeah. is, ah, I'm the one who can survive it. Who says you can't survive? And wow. I, I, I got my lunch handed to be on that project. And, and to a great degree, it was... You know, the reason I left my name on it is I had spent two and a half years on it and was so kind of angry and resentful that I'm like, you know what? I want my back end. I want my residual on it for, for that effort, not thinking, hey, the movie's also very bad. What damage could it do to your career? However, I will also say this, the Catwoman money spent just like the other money. Yes. No. It was, uh, okay. it, it other, was green like it, the other money. Sure. Yeah. Other, other than the money part of it. Do you go, man, I wish I had never done that? Or is it just like, eh, eh. Yeah, look, it's hard. It's, it's, it, it, has, it gives me like four good stories, uh, <laughs> which is all you can ask for at this. My point of the career is just anecdotes for the writing room. Um, and I learned something and I made some connections. Yeah. And, and it was part of, you know, being in features at the time was working on those types of movies, particularly Warner Brothers. So, I, you, know, you know what? It's one of those things where you have to be very careful about the whole time travel thing of would I go back and change anything. I don't know what it would have changed. Like right. what, what job I would have taken if I hadn't had that that would have ruined my life. Or, yeah. You know, and, and I did okay. So, you yeah. know, it's not like I'm, I'm sitting, living in the back of my car going, it was Catwoman through my life askance, you yeah. know. But now, it was it wasn't it wasn't a great feeling. I'll tell you that. <laughs> now you you do a lot a lot of the stuff that you do right now. It's there's a lot of action. Yep. Uh, there's some magic in a couple other things. A couple that you things do. I do like genre entertainment is generally my purview now. But you started out doing some comedy. I was. A am I am yeah, I reading I everything a, wrong? No, not at all. I was a, a stand up comic. I was uh, doing a physics degree at McGill University and doing comedy as a hobby. Uh, and then that was where the Just for Last Festival is in Montreal, yeah. where the big international festival was. I happened to get lucky that year, and it was my year to be the guy they gave a deal to. Uh, so I actually was a stand-up for about 12, 15 years, depending on how you count, and toured internationally, did, uh, did a couple theater shows, had a couple one-man shows. Uh, and But always wanted to be a writer. Writing was how I started. I just wanted to learn, do some stand-up so I could get a feel for how dialogue and Mm -hmm. comedy worked. I just kind of fell backwards into a successful career. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was a good physicist. I was a... A much better stand-up. Now, uh, and and so, so yeah, I did I did jokes for a lot of years, and actually started in half hours. But now, now I got to go back pilot. to this whole I, physicist thing. Hold I, on, I did I did shoot <laughs> Wait a, a minute. I did shoot you a can, pilot. There's like footage of me out there with an improbably hot wife. As they remember in the '90s, it was that like, man, hey, pretty wife. Hey, you're a heavy set white guy. Yeah. Here's a here's a hot wife. Who, there you who go. played your wife? It was Kirsten Nelson who played the chief on um, on Psych. Which right. is which is great because we've actually uh, we we actually had kind of lost touch of each other and then I don't remember if you remember for whatever reason 
uh, Leverage, my show Leverage and Psych became like a bromance show. And so we actually kept referencing each other on the show. Oh, that's great. funny. And, no, and so uh, it's like, hey, you should come by. And so delighted to see Kirsten again. And we've, uh, we've gotten back in touch. Um, my, and and, and uh, it's funny because because uh, her son was with her and her husband, who's a great writer, actually a really good, a really good uh, book writer. And um, and they said, oh, you know, this is a, this person. And the son is just old enough to go like, oh, I don't know this guy. And I'm like, oh, I was married to your mother. And there's a wow. moment of just like shock on his face. Like, what is this I'm learning? Should someone have told me this earlier? No, All no. Right. But have you noticed you look like me? All right, here Cheers, you go. Cheers, Cheers, Cheers. Uh, Okay, let's see. Let's see what he's made you. Wait, what's the name of this drink? The uh, Applewood Old Fashioned. Okay. Wow, you can really get a little... Uh, it's got a little nose to it. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's got some nice bite to it. Oh yeah. And there's the brandy on the back. <laughs> yeah. The brandy's late. It's a little yeah. It's on the back. It's a little you know. It's, yeah. it's a little, it's a little sweeter. Nice. So and it's definitely got a little more burn because this is the the. Uh, I the, smell the, the burn. The brandy's yeah. the brandy's hundred proof. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. Yeah. So it's got a little bite to it. I like yeah. it. Uh, I like that. That's oh, a good. nice. That's a nice I, new drink. I'm glad now. It, it, this, drink invention successful, sir. Now I am so glad because uh, <laughs> I occurred to me today. I was like, you know what? This, this needs to really put it. You know, kind of drive it home is the, the apple brandy, and this is the first time I've ever made it. I was rolling oh, the dice. You, well, so, you rolled nice. them the right way. I, I'm relieved. Mission successful. Uh, so you tried to skip over something, and oh, well, I will. I will chase after you. I'm not chasing. And anything. I will my, grab my you by the is, ankles. My life is an open book, sir. What can I do? For you, you were a physicist. I had my degree in physics, and I was uh, considering going on to a higher degree. And at the time, I was doing stand up as a hobby, and it was. Well, I can go live in a mine shaft in Italy with a bunch of dudes who look like me tracking uh, neutrinos through heavy water, or I can travel the country getting paid in booze and waitresses. And they're really, when you're <laughs> wow. 20-nothing years old, that really, yeah. I, 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 by the time I was getting out of McGill, I was doing the International Comedy Festival and uh, headlining and touring, and, and I enjoyed physics, but I was, at the time, chaos theory was kind of the hot thing, mm-hmm. and uh, theoretical mathematics was really the muscle there, and I was a decent experimenter, but I'm like, I'm never going to get to do the cutting-edge theoretical work I want to do. I'm just not that guy. So I, I kind of looked and went, oh, I'll, I will keep my hand in. I will always try to stay informed about science and, and, and a hobbyist. But uh, no, I went fully on the stand-up and the writing. Did the, did the parents? I don't know how involved your parents my, my were. Dad was, were they my, my dad was. No, my, I got my degree. My dad and my mom were always like, uh, whatever you're doing, um, get your degree so you can fall back on it and don't ask us for money. And as long as you, you are doing what you love and you're not borrowing money from us to do it, mm-hmm. uh, we're cool. So, you know, and I was – and it helped – I was – pretty successful by the time I was leaving university. Okay. And so when they came up to see me, they were coming to a sold out show to see me. It wasn't like coming to wow. see me at some dive bar and, you know, me mm-hmm. at 2 a.m. Like, hey, how's everyone going? You know, <laughs> you know my picture was on the poster wow. was on the front door and everything. Although it was funny. My, my dad, my friend uh, DJ McCarthy, who's unfortunately passed now because we tend to die early uh, for comedians. But he was standing there. He's one of my best friend. And my dad's this big Irish guy is standing there and I'm about to go on stage and, and dad just turns to DJ and goes, don't lie to me. Is he good? And DJ goes, Oh yes, yes, sir. Oh. Yes, sir, he's good. And uh, and my dad goes, All right, well, if he's good and he's working hard, I, it's not my life. Uh, and it was it was wow. good. It was it was that's um, great. Although I did get my degree in the mail because I was on the road when we graduated, and uh, uh, like I went finally was traveling. I was near my folks. I was doing a show in Worcester, Massachusetts, and my family was there. And I gave my dad the degree. I'm like, Look, Dad, just so you know, I wasn't lying. I, I got my degree. And as I'm standing by the bar talking to the comedian, I look over and my dad has unrolled it and is holding it up to the light to make sure I've not given him a oh, fake degree wow. in order to somehow make him happy right. that I have graduated. So, no. Okay. Now, 
physicists were your folks were they were they um uh, they were more they were more white collar humans my mom was a nurse and mm-hmm. my dad was uh originally a, a teacher then left to become um a human resources guy like head of hr type mm-hmm. of thing at a, a gas pipeline company uh and then uh, in, in very inspiring story uh, well there's two things about that one i quit university in the middle to find myself i'm like i'm having a moment of you know that moment of doubt i'm gonna leave university to find myself and my dad like we totally support you understand it uh, I'm even going to help you get, get your job. I'm like, wow, that's really generous of my dad. Uh-huh. And my dad got me a job on the pipeline, the uh-huh. worst possible job he could find. Uh-huh. So six months later, I'm jackhammering some concrete going, i got to go back to school to he find knew myself. Exactly mm-hmm. He knew exactly. <laughs> I mean, I got blown shrewd. up twice, so my mom wasn't happy. But uh, but um, basically, my dad at my age, I'm 52 now, he got laid off from that job I was talking about, human resources director. He, the company got bought up by another company. So he took a settlement. He took a cash settlement up front, sort of structured. Uh he went to law school at 52, went to night school, got his degree at 56, opened a, a law firm, and he's wow. still a lawyer now at 77. Oh, my God. Wow. So uh, he had the smarts, too. Yeah, he was – well, he always wanted to do it and came from a very, very poor family. And so yeah. he went to the state college and look, went for a job he thought he could just get. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no, he won a – uh, one of his cases as a community night school college lawyer, he won a case in front of the Massachusetts Supreme Court. Uh, so I will never measure up. Full stop. <laughs> I am not yeah. going to do that. Whatever he's thinking I'm going to do is not that. Although it is funny because it's one of those things where, you know, my sister's a little frustrated, my, my nephew's in his 20s, and she's like, oh, you're trying to figure out what he wants to do. And, and me and my dad are like, well, we both left school. We both, like, changed careers 45 oh, times. And oh. my sister's like, shut up. Don't yeah. tell him that. I want him to be dependable. Uh, like, oh, all right, fine. Wow. Now, were they funny people, too? Uh, yeah, in their own way. My sister's the funny one. Yeah. Like, my mom's my mom's funny, but she's, she's bomb funny. My dad's droll. My dad's very dry Irish. You know, just kind of look over the glasses at you. A really good sense of time. My sister's yeah. relentlessly funny. Um, I think I just liked words. Yep. And so comedy is, you know, there's sure. is really the expression there. Yeah. Uh, and I was amongst myself and my various sundry friends and foster brothers. I was the, the skinny, smart one. Yeah. So, you know, your play there is to be the funny guy. No uh, doubt. Yeah. 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 For either fights or girls. Yeah. So you just wind up going that way. Yep. How did you make that leap from the stand-up situation into the writing, producing situation. Well, I was, so I did my pilot, um, and... Uh, Once again, Fat Man, Skinny Wife. Uh, fat Man, Skinny Wife. Mm-hmm. Um, although I was I was more heavy set. I hadn't quite crossed oh, over into oh, Kevin okay. James. Just uh, an undeserving man. Yes, exactly. Okay. Although it was very funny. We, we auditioned one woman and the two writers, and I'm, you know, what, 26 at the time, and, and they're like, uh, oh, no, uh, not her. She's out of your league. And I said, well, my wife is out of my league. And they're like, oh, we wouldn't have cast her either. No, your wife. Your wife is improbable right, yeah. as your wife. I was like, oh, thanks. Uh, so um, what happened was I, 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 I was a stand-up, and I did a pilot, and it didn't. It, it actually got half picked up, and then they changed uh, network pilots, they, network presidents. It was when Peter Torrici lost his job, and it was Les Moonves' first year. Oh, okay. So he came in, and he killed all of Peter's pilots. So I, wow. got, I think I found out in a Winnipeg kitchen. I was up and doing stand-up in Winnipeg, like, hey, remember you're going to move here? No. Uh, remember how we told you it was the highest testing pilot CBS had ever had? Too bad. Out. Wow. So it was good. It was a good early dose of like, this is what the industry does. Uh, it, it takes your dreams and crushes it. Yeah. And then I stayed acting for a bit, but I always wanted to be a writer. That's why I did stand up was to get a, a hearing, a, a sense of dialogue. So I wrote my specs. It was the golden age, kind of the tail end of the boom for sitcoms. Um, and so your specs were all multicam sitcoms? Yeah, multicam sitcoms at that time. I did a Frasier <laughs> and Friends. And then uh, I got hired on 
Cosby. I got hired on the Cosby Comeback Show. And you were there for three a years. little while. I was there for three years. It was on for four years. I was on for the first three. And then uh, then when I was there, I started writing one hours. I wrote a movie. And the movie didn't get made. But at the time, and look, Catwoman, but you also think about where features were in the in the late 90s. Um, at the time, mid, sort of mid-90s, early aughts. Uh, they were action comedies. It was action and banter. Right. And I mm-hmm. was an action aficionado. I loved action. I loved action as choreography. I was, as a stand-up, like, stealing bootlegs. Uh, like, not stealing bootlegs, but, like, going to bootleg stores in Seattle and Portland and L.A. and getting uh, bootleg VHS of Jackie Chan, Johnny uh-huh. Toe, Chai Fa, and all that stuff. Uh, actually, I know when I worked in New York on Cosby, I used to go to the 36 Chamber, which is over in Hell's Kitchen, where is where Wu Tang Clan and the Black Israelites got oh, their, wow. their their Hong Kong stuff. So it'd be like me, Wu Tang Clan, <laughs> Black crap. Israelites, just talking about like Jet Li, really more of a dancer than a fighter. Yeah, you but, and the Black Israelites yeah, 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 just they, hanging they, out. Those dudes love their kung fu, man. They yeah. love that. Okay. So so what happened is uh, they what my market became like. Wow, he can write an action scene and dialogue. We don't need to hire two guys. So I got hired. Wow. I made a lot of money back then, just batting cleanup. Um, and then as a Jackie Chan fan, when my manager found out they wanted to do an animated show, uh, I got put in for that. I wound up creating the Jackie Chan show. And then because I know Jackie, I wound up doing rewrites on uh, Rush Hour 2. And then so, you know, it's sort wow. of action, dialogue, banter line was I moved out of sitcoms and into that world um, in film and a little bit of TV and shot some pilots and then, you know, then really into one hour now. So you originally met Jackie Chan on... The animated Ru- show. The animated on, show. Yeah, on the Jackie Chan Adventures. Yeah, exactly. Okay. We were looking for somebody to do the, to branch out and do an animated show for him. And uh, my manager, uh, which is why I have a manager because agents never pay attention to this shit, uh, called Sony and said he's a super fan. He absolutely, he's had three years on a staff so he can run a show. And, and so, now I didn't run that show. Um... Uh, Dave Slack and oh, shoot, um, who was the other guy? It was Gary. You got IMDb. I open. could look it yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could look it up, but I love to I'm see blanking. him suffer. I know I'm blanking. It's it was so nice. Twenty some years suffer. ago, Dwayne Capizzi. There it is. Thank you. Who was it? Dwayne Capizzi. I would never have forgotten oh, Dwayne's name. name. I know. I'm a, I I'm literally a never. I'm a monster. <laughs> you are a creature. Uh, but um, so yeah, Dave was the baby writer and Dwayne was the showrunner. Um, and so I created the show, and and that's where I get to meet Jackie and. Uh, you know, went out and pitched the show with him, did a bunch of development meetings with him. And then when I had been writing, doing some work with Spyglass, uh, so when Rush Hour 2 ran into some trouble, it was actually Jackie was like, you should bring John in. Cause, and so I did So that. hold on, Jackie has... You should bring John No, no, Jackie. I can't do it. The problem is, you, you do Jackie, bring... it is a, a racist stereotype voice. However, right. it's ja- the way Jackie talks, and it's adorable. Yeah. You know, because I, I'll tell you a, a true Jackie Chan story, my favorite Jackie Chan story, where okay. the first time I meet him, we're on the roof of the Pacific... What's the nice hotel Beverly Hills? The Pacific is the Pacific Hotel, right? The, I don't yeah, know. but it's yeah. the one with the pool on the roof. Okay, so I'm super nervous. I go up there. There's a bunch of his guys, a bunch of the studio guys. So there's all a bunch of guys in suits and me, and Jackie's swimming lengths. And he gets out of the pool. And at that point, he would have been in his 40s, and he's like, he's ripped. It's ridiculous. A guy looks like this. Yeah, big fuzzy robes puts on. Like John, so nice to meet you. We sit down and we talk about the the cartoon and what we want to do. And it's like my young audience is so important to me. And there's a bunch of kids on the other side of this rooftop area who have identified Jackie, plainly recognized Jackie. <laughs> And they are freaking out, but they're and they're like eight between eight and twelve. It's not really it's super old, but they can tell who it is. And they just you know, and we're having this business meeting, and there's these dudes in suits standing around, just looming over us, including his bodyguards. You know how tough you have to be to be Jackie Jen's yeah, bodyguard, yeah, because yeah. Jackie can screw you up. Like yeah, he's I, he's not yeah. a paper tiger. He no. literally can kill you. Yeah. So we stand up. 
We're finished the meeting, so pleased. Oh, John, we're going to be a great time. And we're walking to the door, and we get to the door off the roof, and suddenly Jackie whirls around and shouts to the kids, you think Jackie doesn't see you? Come fight Jackie! And he puts his fists oh. up, and the kids come running across the fa- the roof, and he got, he like play fights with them for like five minutes. That's and, awesome. And, 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 it was, and I was like, oh, thanks for not sucking, man. Thanks for like That's being my hero dude, and being a real dude. Is, that makes yeah, I love Jackie heart, Chan even more now. He did the head fake, and then he, you think Jackie doesn't see you? Come fight Jackie! And, and the camera <laughs> oh. ran. It was just like, ah, oh, this... For for one minute, Hollywood doesn't suck. And then, uh, you know, I wound up doing a bunch. Of, I did a draft of Rush Hour 3 we never shot, but I did a rewrite of Rush Hour 2. And it was just, it was, it was a real pleasure. And interestingly, because I'm my age now, that is a lot of what people, that had a big influence. Like when I talk to gamers, because, you know, I do a lot of role-playing games, tabletop yeah, game stuff. Yeah. That's their show. Like I have more fans for that. From Jackie. From, Jackie. from almost Avengers. anything else. From like kids in their 20s, early 20s, late 20s, early 30s. Like that was their teenage show. Wow. Yeah. So that's, I'm very glad I did that. And that's a perfect example of why you just try to do stuff you love in Hollywood. Cause when I, I signed up for that, my agency, I was at CAA and I was, I had gone from staff writer to producer in three years on, on the sitcom. I'm like, what are you doing? This pays nothing. Right. This pays, you know, 2,500 bucks for the creator by fee, 2,500 bucks. Executive, executive fee because you know animation right? yeah animation fees are not uh, yeah. folks so if like, you're not aware are not the yeah, same as live it's action like, it's yeah. like it's five thousand dollars an episode and you're in the middle of a two-year two sitcom deal what are you doing I'm like it's something i care about and i really want to do and so they were very begrudging super unhappy i was doing this for five grand an episode and then it became so popular they decided to strip it during the week at the same time so we made 99 episodes in three years <laughs> wow. and it paid for my house wow. and yeah. so it's like you know what do what you want to do because the stuff I've, everything I've done for the money or because I think it's going to be a success has failed and everything I did because I loved it worked. So like, just put your head down, do the stuff you love. That it is good tends advice. to be that yeah, this business doesn't, there's not a lot of rhyme or reason. Mm. Nope. There's no point A to point C by going B necessarily. No. You may reach And now more, C even more than that with new media, with, uh, you know, the, with the way comic books are adapted, with novels, yeah. with, you know, the way that they're looking for writers from other mediums, you know, so now, so often now you're here in a uh, sitcom pilot. Oh, they gave that to a playwright. You know, they're trying to vary up the voice. Yeah. yeah. So, if if there was a guaranteed way to sell out and be successful, we would just all do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, we would just do it and be successful. Yeah. There, there's not, so may as well not sell out. Right. You know? Yeah. No, do what you love. Yeah. Well, was, I mean, you're going to, I mean, that's the only way you're going to do something that you feel genuine, that feels genuine coming out of your, you know, yeah. out, out of you anyway. I mean, by the way, if somebody wants to give you a job to not roof and type now, yes, yes, yes. take that job. <laughs> yeah, go type. Yeah, yeah. And look, a lot of it is also understanding, like, where is this in my strategy? I'm going to take this job. Is this something I love? No, but is this where I need to go learn how to be in a writer's room? Is yeah. this where I have to learn how to do production? Right. Because, because that's the, the hard crash course is going from what you think writing is in your head to what writing is on an actual live production show be it a four camera sitcom like where i started or an action one hour which is where i've kind of finished and where i am now out of necessity you have to take some jobs yeah i mean like you have to put you know food on the table you gotta I mean, pay your rent i mean I, and ironically the jobs morph i mean remember like i said they'd been trying to make catwoman for years and then it came, came around and the um the very smart producer because it was in the batman interregnum it was after the schumacher okay and so I was like, who's going to bring back Batman? Because that's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. And uh, Denise Denovi, this very smart producer, um, was like, you know, I want Fincher to do it. And they're looking for somebody to write Fincher's Batman. And if you fix Catwoman for him. Because so, I did write the first script. I, like I said, it had been in development for a decade yeah. by the time I showed up. 
And it's like, if you be the guy who fixes Catwoman and gives them a franchise, you're going to get the first shot at the Fincher Batman. And it's like, ah, I don't know. And I literally remember she said, like, "Ah, you want me to call John Logan and maybe tell him that he can have the Batman job? I'm like, oh, all right. And I took took the job. I'll just be in the house. If I'm in the house... Little realizing sure. that they were considered that I yeah, it was in the house, but I, I I shit in the kitchen. So like they really you know Would they bring back another catwoman? What do you think? They did. They got Anne Hathaway in the in the Oh, that's uh, right. And, and what's yeah, interesting right. is oh we God, weren't able we weren't able to do Selena Kyle. Um the whole thing yeah, with that why why not? All right, I, I will tell half a version that I kinda know and kinda get wrong and, and part and i'm also partly covering my ass because there's some stuff i'm not sure about. but first of all you just said you're going to tell half a version that you partly know yeah. now you're telling like an yeah, maybe quarter? an eighth of, yeah, a version. Quarter, <laughs> eighth of a version look it was, a it, was, it was a long time ago it's not my favorite memory but let me go there all right well so what happened is if you remember correctly batman returns come out michelle fire versus selena kyle right if i remember correctly what happened is to lock her down because oh my god that was a giant hit and selena kyle as, as catwoman was a giant cultural icon that yeah. was huge they created a likeness rights. Uh, it was a likeness rights issue and a, a writer first refusal for Michelle ah. Pfeiffer. That's how they locked her down. If anybody else, if, you know, she's she gets a scabillion dollars to play Catwoman. But if anybody else plays Selena Kyle, they have to pay her off. And so as they move forward in development, they realize she's not going to do this, and we don't want to pay an enormous amount of money. Right. For her not to do this, right? So can it be a different character, and then it becomes a different character, and then it becomes a different character, and then it keeps going, and then it morphs into a truly awful thing. By the time I showed up, <laughs> not that I made it that much better, but honestly, there were I was I got the green light. Haley Berry signed on to my draft. The director signed on to my draft. They fired the hell out of me, um, and but we were like, you know, four months off shooting, like four months off prep. Yeah. And I'm like, well, how many writers can they bring in between me and prep? Six. Oh so in four months, they brought so, in six other writers to screw. Plus around. writers during shoot. So uh, the 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 one time you see the actual number of writers is the official title page where they do the drafts where they have to submit wow. the guild. And th- th- at that point, I think there were between fifteen and twenty names on it over the course of the entire history of the project. That's, that's very. Um, and there's one line of mine in the movie. There's literally nothing else <laughs> in, my in the movie. That's hilarious. That's how cut up is. It's, it's if well, it's me. It's Ferris and Brancato, and it's it's a young woman whose name is Kate something. K something is the is the other person whose name is unfortunately on it. Yeah, and I think if you look at all of us, we all at the premiere, and none of us are like, I didn't write that. So, yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Because so. yeah, your name is one of the names that pops up first. Yeah. On yeah. The, on well, the, also, I'm the only one who kind of stayed. Who I'm the one who kind of got social media famous because right around the same time, the global frequency pilot was bootlegged. It was the first big bootleg TV pilot. It was a giant cultural thing. And uh, we, were the, we were the first leaked pilot. Yep. Uh, and so, you know, I was blogging at the time. Warren was blogging at the time. Catwoman came out. I was very public public about, well, that was unpleasant. I was right while well, I did Transformers. Transformers was a very high-profile project because it was the start of the genre thing. Right. And it was also the start of the internet thing where, you know, my wife was, I was sitting on the uh, computer when that gig started. And so this is 2006. 2005, and uh, she goes, what are you looking at? I said, I'm looking at a guy threatening to kill me if Optimus Prime is the wrong kind of truck. So it was like the beginning of that. Those fans are rabid. Any of of those comic book fans, like they're the single most rabid. It's weird. I will absolutely say that there are fandoms that are super positive, and I will absolutely say it is female fandoms tend to be. I know there's stuff within them that there's internecine stuff, Mm -hmm. but like... 
there's a definite different energies to fandoms. Yeah. Uh, and I think yeah. I think it's interesting. I was talking to somebody uh, a little while ago. The whole the whole member on, online a little while ago was like, Black Batman, yes or no? Yeah. And, and Mark Bernard and I were like, no. And I was talking to a guy. I was like, yeah, man, you want... Like, that's... You know, you, and I said, well, because Batman doesn't work as a black guy, because first of all, they would just lock up every black billionaire in Gotham. That's just how racism works. Yeah. Uh, but also... You know. Yeah. <laughs> a black billionaire was going out beating up criminals. That You should... No, a black guy with a billion dollars would be like, we should fix the school system. Yeah. We should, like, fix <laughs> right, the sewers. Right, yeah. You know? And, and But it was interesting because one of the guys said, well, you know... But, but Batman, I said, but you got Black Panther. And by the way, Mr. Terrific is actually Black Batman in theory True, in, in yeah. DC Comics. Yeah. Um, that's right, you're a comic nerd. You know exactly what I'm re- referencing. Only one of the only one of the two hosts yeah. is, 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 is a comic nerd. And look, there's Black Panther right there. Yeah. And like, yeah, but, you know, but you know, Black Panther comics were obscure. I'm like, yeah, but the Black Panther comics you're talking about from the 70s. Right. Kids today don't know any of that. So, so much of what's going on now is this craving for acceptance and control over things from our youth that we have young emotions tied up around. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then the younger guys are kind of, it's, it's, it was a marginalization or a gatekeeping created by older male fans. And that created a society or a place where as a young guy and you were feeling outside, you're feeling resentful, saw a, a similar energy and just went straight into without any of the genuine fandom that's around it. You know, because if you if all you have is a fandom yeah. and you want something to gatekeep, we all want something we can say is mine. And unfortunately, it, it sometimes turns into a very small... Uh, my, my expression for it is always, look, science fiction fantasy. Because you remember also there was the big thing with the Hugos where they're trying yeah. to start a separate awards thing for a bunch of white guys who were yeah. upset that the, the Hugos... sad puppies. Was, yeah, the sad puppies. Because yeah. Hugos were so diverse and the, the best Hugo for novels has been won by a black woman for the last three years yeah. in a row. and those books are excellent. And N.K. Jemison's yeah. books are yeah. incredible. Dr. Yeah. Nnedi Okorafor's books are amazing, you know. Saladin Ahmed's Throne of the Crescent Moon, you know, a couple of years ago. It's all... But the question is... And I grew up in a dying post-industrial city where the library was where I went because this place was shitty. Um, are you escaping through fantasy? Or are you escaping into fantasy? Right. Mm-hmm. If you're escaping into fantasy, it's like the world is too loud, it's too diverse, it's too, it's too changing too fast. I need to go someplace where I can feel powerful and strong and everyone like, looks like it's a power fantasy. Like, oh, it's right. all square-jawed white guys with 1950s sci-fi. Right. You know, but if you're escaping through fantasy, you're saying, I don't like where I am right now. I want to go out where it's different. I want to hear different voices. Yeah. And, the, and the bigger it gets... The better the genre is, the better that experience is for me. I love when suddenly I'm reading science fiction or fantasy from a voice I did not ever anticipate or read before. Yeah. You know, to me, that means the genre is doing its job. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, that's not always the emotional relationship people have with the work. No, I think that's definitely true. And I think that that uh, social media has amplified that in a way. That, I, I, do that, have this, I do have this theory that aliens yeah. are going to show up and we're going to be like, oh, aliens. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're cool. We brought you a cure for cancer. Oh, you're such cool aliens. Yeah, what you got here? Oh, we got solar panels and nuclear. Oh, you're doing well. Uh, and we've tried, we got an internet. Oh, wow. How'd you introduce that to society? We just turned it on. And the aliens are like, oh, no. Oh, no. You don't just turn that on you got to prep a society for like 30 years we're going to get on the ufo we're going to go back and just because things because we've seen this before things are going to get real shitty in about 10 years he's going to go up and wait Uh, and come back down and pick up the survivors that's where we are yeah that's where we are the aliens have landed and they're going to go they're They're back they're like we're going to back off yeah you people have some some stuff to work out we've seen the youtube comments we're just going to go back in orbit wait for the air to clear yeah i'd be amazed if they landed seeing the youtube comments gary yes would you do us a favor? Yeah, I'll do you two favors. All right. First one, favor. go move your car. 
Yes, that's the first favor. I'm well, have do. have have the the uh, yes. the, uh, the piggy piggybackman the piggybackman do it. Yes. Uh, would you use your nest? Yeah, and turn on a little bit of air. Yeah, sure. Here. Yeah, I'll use my. By the way, this podcast is not, not brought to not, you not by Nest. Not anyway, uh, brought to you by anybody. because I, I don't allow them in my house. I have a big thing. Of the uh, as a ex physics nerd, etc. I've mm-hmm. stayed abreast of tech and still kind of hang out. And also writing leverage was really reading a lot about tech and security. So I have no Internet of Things stuff in my house in any way, shape, or form. Everything in my house is as dumb as a 1950s appliance. Because <laughs> well, writing a show where you had a hacker get into people's houses through oh that, yeah. you can only read that so many times like, I'm not going to have that. Well, here's, right. what, here's what I won't. I won't have any of the ones for sure like the Nest that has a camera built yeah, yeah, yeah. into right. it. Because somebody's going to be watching. Oh, yeah. There's Even a- staying at an Airbnb People are watching you. If you stay at anybody's Airbnb, oh, yeah, the they're looking cameras. at your balls. Oh yeah. Well, let me tell you. Then they're. I mean, they're getting. Quite, I'm giving them quite a show. <laughs> yeah. I. They, you know, sure they are. Know. They are very happy they to are have like, me as a guest. Wow, that guy. I don't know what's more impressive: how long he's crying or how long he's masturbating. Because both of those, <laughs> he's going for distance on yeah, both. Yeah, I was, right now. I was wow. talking about when I take off my shirt. Gosh, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, all right, fine. Was, I guess yeah. um, different show. Masturbating show. Yeah. Let's talk about leverage. Hmm. Let's talk, so Let's that was it. that was a TNT show. Yes, was sir. Uh, that came on in in two. We shot the pilot in two thousand seven, right before the writer strike we started in two thousand eight. We did. We were both a winter, a summer. We were a winter and summer show that first two years. So we actually did five seasons in four years. So we went up there in two thousand twelve. I remember watching that show when I was living in Atlanta. But I think I knew. All right, this is this well, is we, a weird com- from comics world. We knew each other. Yeah, like, that, yeah, well, right. But we didn't actually know each other until we, we, well, until we, much we, later. Yeah, but we, we knew like people names, in comics. Like, yeah, yeah, we knew, we knew people in comics yeah. because you did Blue Beetle. You right. created. I did Jaime, uh, 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 Jaime Reyes with um, Keith Giffen, uh, Cully Hamner, right. and then uh, Rafael Albuquerque took it over. Right, and so I knew Cully yeah. uh, from a project that we did uh, when I was in Atlanta, Tomb Raider animated web series. And then, so yeah, that Cully's, was, yeah. Oh, I my mean, God, that guy's I mean, it's great. amazing because yeah. it is, you know, Blue Beetle was the first new DC character in, like, 27 years. Yeah. And if you're going to design a character silhouette, you call Cully. Absolutely. Because that that suit is now iconic. Yep. Uh, I mean, I remember the first time I saw it, because he was part of the animated show, On the Wall of the Warner Brothers. Yes. Yeah. And I went by, I'm like, man, that, that thing pops. And then Raphael really found a way to make it animated and visual and very expressive, yeah. you know. How did that feel? I mean, like to see something that you had a hand in creating on the big wall. It was really at, good. At, I mean, at Warner Brothers. I'm very conflicted about comics um, because uh, it was great to be part of that. It was great to, again, for fans of a certain age. I'll tell a true story. I don't think we met at that Comic Con, but I was at the Comic Con after it started, and I can't remember the year. And I like to think I'm a liberal white guy. I went to university in Montreal. I, I like to think you. I got like I had a you know feminist girlfriend smack me in the back of the head and introduce me to like oh the, everything you learned about masculinity in your small dying city was wrong. Let me just take you through this. Wow. Um, and it was much in Montreal at the time it was very liberal. It was the, it was kind of conservative America, so they were going hard the other way as Canada always does. You right. Know? Um, and but you know you don't know really know stuff sometimes until you really experience it. And so we were doing our first signing. Keith wasn't there. It was Raphael and I. And this kid comes up, uh, Hispanic kid, Hispanic dad, and the kid blows by me. And I'm like, I'll sign your book. He's like, I want the artist. I'm like, of course you want the fucking artist. So, yeah, he goes over. <laughs> and Raphael is doing a little sketch and drawing. I'm like, ah, oh, it's really cool. And I look up, and this dude, who would have been a little older than me, is crying. Like, quiet crying, but just the tears on his face. And I'm like, hey, hey you are? Because I think, like, Comic-Con's upsetting. And I'm like, you okay? And he swear, I swear to God, he says, I never thought he'd have a superhero that looked like him. 
and it hit me like a hammer. Like, oh, you stupid white asshole. This is actually important. This, like you say, representation matters. But until you see this guy, all of a sudden his his whole worldview has changed. He has hope for his fucking son that he's got. Because Jaime's a good kid. Yeah. Jaime's not an anti-hero. Jaime loves his parents. Jaime loves his friends. That was Keith's whole thing, by the way. Yeah. You know, Keith's whole thing when he called me, because uh, I'd written an adaptation of Matt Wagner's Mage as a, as a, as a movie. Ah, okay. Never got made, but Keith had read it, and it's like, this is the only movie adaptation of a comic I've ever liked, ever. Because, you know, Keith's persnickety. Uh, <laughs> he's got the rep. So he called me. He's like, uh, you know, I want they want me to do Blue Beetle. They're killing Ted. I'm like, what? He's like, I know, I know, but I can't do anything about that. He's like, but they want me to relaunch Blue Beetle at the new 52. I'm like, all right. He said, I want to do it. As a kid, and I want to do it outside of the D.C. He's not in Gotham. He's not metropolitan. I want to do the people who happen to live in the D.C. universe who don't live in the big cities. Like, what's that like? Right. I was like, wow, this sounds so much more interesting than other stuff. So he's like, and I don't, I don't want to do the whole run. So why don't you said you wanted to learn more about writing comics? You, I'll baby you through the first seven or eight, and then you take over. It's like, and I had Keith Giffen teach me to write comics. It's amazing. That's yeah. not bad. No, that's great. Yeah. So. Um, and they brought Cully on for the first four or six. I think it's, I think it's six. I think Raphael took around seven or eight. And uh, it was such a great thing because everything that they wanted, you know, the sort of anti-hero darkness. I mean, like the, the one year later thing was dark. I mean, the whole thing was built around the rape and murder of Sue Digby. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And, and or pardon me, that's not it. Ted, that's, oh, that was, that was Identity Crisis. That was Identity Crisis. Uh, that was the year before. Then it was all of the, the superheroes were betrayed and murdered in, right. in 52. Later, and then yeah. we found out in the middle of breaking the story that it would be one year later. We're like, but the whole origin story is, he finds that it can't be one year later because we're, we're going to do it, the young hero learning stuff. Right. And DC's like, we've made a decision. So we, we worked it into the story, I thought, organically. But all of Keith's instincts and everything I followed after that were like, you know, the first thing he does, all of, all. what's the stereotypes? Hide it from your family, make a mistake, get people killed, uh, can't tell your friends. He's like, he tells his friends, he tells his family, he's a good kid, he's trying hard. And that that was that was the anchor for the entire series. And after that, everything I did was just like work from the fundamental assumption: Jaime's a good kid, right? And then and and you know we'll yeah. do his best. And uh, and that really it made it it was totally different from everything. And it was one of the few few family books you could feel confident about. Yeah. And it was one of the few times like parents were an actual part of the story, right? You know. And, and it was it was fun. It was good, and, and and I got to play around with those those other characters. You know, I got to write Batman. I got to write Green Lantern. Was a big recurring. Um, a couple. I got to write Teen Titans one time. Right. The, that iteration. Um, I wrote the the best or worst DC titled uh, book of the entire five year run um, of, of of like that five year epic when they made us do the Eclipso crossover. Because oh. remember, they would do these these company yeah, Eclipso. Yeah, I do, but I don't remember the Eclipso the, the, one. The, the Eclipso one is Eclipso. We're has going come, deep here, folks. Yeah. Yeah. Eclipso needs <laughs> Eclipso. Uh, crazy Eclipso needs a new heart. She needs to, she needs to inhabit a new um, a new body. So she's going to steal the heart of a baby, and she steals the baby of one of Jaime's friends. And Tracy Thirteen shows up because she's a magic hero, and they team up. And it's his first. He's trying to do his teen romance and fight Eclipso, who's way out of his power uh, power range, and the. Episode, the issue title was uh, Total Eclipso, dot, dot, the heart. Oh, come on. And I got it. I kept going like, they're going to call They're going to pull it. They're going to pull it. As it just kept blowing through publication. And I saw it. I'm like, you know what? I'll take that as the win. Take I that win. Know. Absolutely. I yeah. might not ever get something better than the best or worst Total comic Eclipso, title the heart. of that entire run. So but I love Jaime. And I generally miss. And the, the only time I've ever considered going back is to write Jaime. 
Um, because after that run, um, and a lot of it was start. I was starting to do TV again. It was getting harder to keep the deadlines, and they were yeah. looking for a reboot. Anyway, I'd, we'd done the arc. Our arc was the 25 issues right. that we had plotted out. And it's like, well, I, do, I told that story. I don't actually, actually have another long arc in me because also it was my first solo run. I'm like, oh, God, keep typing. <laughs> stay ahead. Stay yeah. Oh, God, it's, so, it's every month, huh? <laughs> um, comics writing is the hardest writing in the world, as you all know. It's brutal. It, it is hard, and, I, and that, that is something I definitely want to talk about because I want to – because you – so you're like, ah, every month you got to turn out a comic book. Every week you got to turn out a TV show. Yeah, but so the, what's, the, the TV what's show the you lean there? on a lot of people. Okay. Like the TV show, um, the director's there, the producer's there, the line right. producer's there. You are constrained to a certain degree. Sure. Like, you know, LA, uh, Portland uh, is where we shot, Leverage. For the, we shot in L.A. the first season, uh, Portland seasons uh, two through five. And... So it's like, all right, we have to, you know, they have to go to this uh, power plant and uh, find out where the villain is, is move the money. And it's like, well, there's three power plants to shoot in. We'll just choose one. Just write the scene. That's not comics. Comics right. is like, hey, man, this is my rough description of a power plant. Right. Hey, man, this mm-hmm. is, you are, when you are, and I have, in television, um, I have written, I have directed, and I have sat in the editing bay many, many hours with editors learning the rules and, and, and giving editing notes. Um, but you're doing each one of those jobs one at a time. And usually somebody else is doing that job. As the writer in a comic, you are writing, directing, and editing as you go. Right. And your partner is your artist. And and by the way, I will say every artist I've had has made my stuff immeasurably better. Yeah. Um, but you are, it is a level of concentration and detail because of the, the sort of infrastructure. When I remember when I was first writing, I called Mark Wade. And I'm like, dude, I am swamped. I can get like three good pages out of me a day. He's like, no, no, that's comics writing. That's about right. Like that's that's the pace. Like it's yeah. just it's exhausting. It's just yeah. mentally exhausting. It's an intense. Writing. It's an intense. Yeah. yeah and, an and so intense like thing. I have written uh, drunk, uh, you know, twenty pages of perfectly good screenplay in a day. Um, I have never gotten better than five pages of comics a day, ever. Which which I, that I would say is good. Yeah. Which brings you the most. Joy then, because I am so foreign to that comic side. It depends. I mean, comics are great because you make them and they're there, and you and you have this collaboration, and you are you are unlimited with budget. I mean, you know, uh, my issue, my sort of flashback issue, it's Blue Beetle and Batman, and they go to a giant satellite in space, and he fights with Black Canary and Green Arrow, and <laughs> you know, and in uh, there was time on leverage that it was like. Oh, let's turn the cameras around so nobody can tell we're in a parking lot, you know. <laughs> right. But at the same time, you get to work with, you know, the, the one the wonderful thing about television is you get to work with actors. And as much as they're all feral children, um, they all are. are Every all, one you know, of this them. This one especially. Yeah, they're except all that young barely, Gary, yeah. Yeah. Except that young Gary Anthony. All yeah, raised by so. wolves uh, and not well. <laughs> yeah. But but that said, like, there hasn't been a moment that just some actor hasn't really surprised me and elevated the material. And I thought, God damn, I did not hear that. Or when you really get somebody's rhythm, like both um, both uh, Tim Hutton and Chris Kane, I was the one who really got the vibe for like, I could write Chris's jokes because I knew how he would deadpan his way through that. And Hutton and I, both from like Boston, kind of the same area vibe. Right. So I knew when, I knew he wanted to like tee off on a speech or when he just wanted to keep it casual and light, but every now and then I'd give him like a big speech speech and I'd be like, all right, here we go. Here's yeah, the here's yeah. the Oscar shit right here. Yeah. Um, and so, so many times you'd, you'd watch a take and you're like, no, that wasn't what was in my head, but holy shit, that was good, great. Yeah. And, and that's that's the discovery process during yeah. TV. I, there are writers who like treat it as painting and every moment is the moment that you will, you know, that, that you will act and direct and shoot the thing that is in my head. Yeah. And I respect that. 
and I respect your vision, that is not the fun for me. Right. You know, and when I show up in a writer's room, like the show I'm running now, a lot of it is, I have a rough idea where this is going, but you're in the room to make it bigger than my brain. Yeah. It, make it bigger and more interesting than my brain. Well, I think that is the thing. Well, certainly, you know, that, that's been my experience with, with comics, and that's been my experience with animation, because, mm-hmm. like, I haven't done that many comics, folks, but I have done a few. And when I've gotten pages back, uh, you know, it's it's almost... Every time it is better than what I imagined in oh, my yeah. head, and and it elevates it elevates whatever I wrote, and then I also find that whatever I wrote, I got to pair back because yeah. I've said too much. Well, that was that was the great thing about having Keith teach me to write comics. Yeah, it's like uh, it's two sentences a balloon, it's two balloons, uh, uh, you know, a panel, right? Uh, f- you know, three to five panels. I mean, he's like because he's the king of the nine panel page. Yes, and he's like, you are not ready for the nine panel page. And it's like <laughs> it looks easier because there's more panels and it's square. Yeah. No, you're not yeah. ready for it. Yeah. No, he is the king. In fact, his nine panel pages. Insp- I had a, I briefly had my own company yeah. called Nine Panel Grid, and it was because of Keith's nine panel pages. He once on a napkin. I forget where we are, but a napkin is like, all right, here's how to design the perfect comic page. And like sketched out on a napkin, and it was as if Einstein showed up. Quick, here's quantum theory. Just bang this out. Like, oh my god, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and but that's the the cool thing about working different genres is I've I've had the pleasure of of working with all these different types of artists and interpreters. Um, you know, a great colorist will change your book. Uh, a great, great letterer will change your book. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, you know, I think that's kind of the the fun of my career anyway is like I'm a dilettante. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> but I like being surprised. Like yeah. the point, the reason I like this job is because it's not going to go the way I thought it was yeah. when I started. Right. Yeah. Yep. You spread yourself Amazingly, now I don't want to say thin. You just do so many. Well, I have a high failure rate, so I keep a lot of projects going. Well, that's, and, and, a, that's a beautiful. Because yeah, yeah. you just said the show that you, the the show that you're show running now. right now. Yes, which is uh, the King Killer Chronicles, which I can say because I'm not NDA'd over that. I'm just NDA'd over absolutely everything else that I right. do with the show. Uh, so there's an adaptation of Patrick Rothfuss's best-selling, 10 million-selling book uh, series uh, of fantasy novels, The King Killer Chronicles, The Name of the Wind, and The Wise Man's Fear. And the third book is coming out soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically, Lionsgate had bought it in a bidding war, and they were looking to do uh, both a TV show and a movie and video games and stuff. And they brought me in for consult on something, and I wound up through a series of um, uh, clever uh, quips and misunderstandings to be running the television show aspect wow. of it. Uh, and then, uh, you know, in the nice bit of, you know, just keep showing up and something good will happen eventually. Lin Manuel Miranda was a fan of the books, a giant fan of the books. One of the songs wow. in Hamilton is based on one of the chapters in the first book. Oh, wait, wait, story, which, the story which of tonight? Song? The story of tonight. Oh, really? Is based. Okay. He's like, he, and wow. you can find the you can find the moment on Twitter. He's like, I was really trying to capture how this chapter made me feel when I was writing this song. Wow. And so he just reached in the way of the 21st century. Uh, he reached out to Pat and said, "Hey, I'm a big fan. If you ever do anything, and Pat." It's like, "Yeah, I'm making a TV show. I'd love to have somebody like watch my back." And so they called me and said, "Do you mind, Lin Manuel Miranda is an executive producer on the show?" And I went, "An actual genius? No, I have no problem with that at all." Uh, and what's cool is he actually, my, the executive of my company, Jen Court. I don't remember if you met. I have. Yeah. yeah. Um, they went to they went to college together. Oh. So we actually walked into this big giant power meeting with the studio and the New York studio and the feature people in the LA Come studio. On. And we walk in and Lynn goes, Jen? And you just saw everyone's power beaters change. Like, wait, what? What? Who knows Lynn? Oh. How do they know Lynn? And you just saw everything like, oh man, we, we had the proper we had the proper uh, totem <laughs> yeah. pole of sucking up established, yeah. and this yep. has thrown anything out. Um so I mean, so now uh, I am, you know, the guy nobody gives a shit about because I'm running the TV show, but I get to work with Pat. I get to work with Lin-Manuel Miranda. I get to, you know, we're, 
I get to write something and go, uh, we need a song here, and this is what I think it is. And Lynn, you know, just hacks something together and sends it back, and it's brilliant. And, you know, and if he uses anything of mine, I'm enormously flattered. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, integrate his vision. Because one of the characters in the, sh- in the books uh, is a musician. Okay. And, and as a result, he's very heavily involved in the movies for that character. And then for the TV show, some of the elements, um, his family is involved. I won't say who of his family. His family's in the, in the shows. We're doing a prequel. Okay. And so Lynn's doing some of the songs for that, too. So. Got it. Uh, nicest guy on earth. Sweetest, sweetest dude. Again, so what a pleasure to meet someone you hope is a great guy. That's and great. is, in fact, a great guy. That is what I would hope for. Because, yeah. I mean, he seems like that's what he is. And uh, and just, you know, I, just having seen Hamilton. I, I will tell like, you... So they made yeah. the announcement. One of the announcements, I forget which announcement they made, but it was basically in all the trades. It's like Lin Manuel Miranda, Patrick Rothfuss's best-selling books at Showtime for Lionsgate, and they're like five paragraphs down. John Rogers is like, <laughs> so Lin emails, and he's like, "That's not cool, man. You've been working on this like a year and a half. I just bombed it." I'm like, "Dude, I'm not a front of the show showrunner. I'm mm. not Joss or Damon Lindelof. Like, right. I'm, I'm back of the. I always think that's a danger. Like, I'm back of the house showrunner." And uh, he's like, no, man, it's just not cool that like I get all that great press and you get press. So just to like balance it out, here's a bunch of my shitty reviews. And he sent me in an email links uh-huh. to bad reviews <laughs> and like bad page six articles about him in New York. Holy and shit. just as a way to go like, ah, oh, man, this, you know. You know what's, what's funny to me is that he has kept those bad reviews oh, yeah. and, and ready to yeah. send them out yeah. to yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. at any time. Well, I, I, yeah, I was and wondering. He's a, and he's yeah. a genius. Like, I, we, I, he is. A I was wondering. Okay, I wanted to ask about that. Like, because you know, Hamilton is, you know, probably I would say the first like legitimately great work of art of the 21st century, oh, and, yeah. and 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 will stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I that agree. Thing it will not, stand the test of time. Yeah. Some people might punch you in the mouth for your other statement. Which one about the, the great? It's it, legitimately the first. I mean, like it's. It's but he, Shakespeare level. No, it's Shakespeare level. I, first of all, I love so, Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. yeah, my son was mad that I couldn't stop singing it. I went, I went so to see mine. it. Yeah, but, but but yeah, just be careful what you say, Elliot. Yeah, are you gonna just be you, careful what you? say. Oh my say. God, he's cocking. He's getting I ready to say, punch me in the mouth. I believe, I believe it's a little dangerous for you to say that the same year Green Book wins the Oscar because you're really. <laughs> All right. Well, not Hamilton came first, yes, so Green fair. Book is the second. You know, but but uh, uh, it's a work of but, something. It just like I, that's the thing, yeah. That but that but Hamilton like it, you know, it knocked me out when I heard the music. Yeah, and then I got to see the play, and I, I mean, I just saw it at the Pantages, and it was you know uh, not the Broadway cast, but it was they were they were Fantastic. all amazing. Yeah. Well, but Lynn like, goes from yeah. he, he checks the cast in yeah. his house, like yeah. he goes from house to house. Yeah, like, wow. which yeah, and so it was it was it was Dang. stunning, and and like I couldn't like keep myself together yeah. by I don't know like by the third act, everything mm-hmm. was I was so moved by everything so that I was trying to lose like, it. You yeah, I guess sometimes with live theater, we went to see. Um, Come from away. The thing about the when nine eleven, when all the planes had yeah, to land yeah, where they landed, yeah, 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 and I hadn't been to a live musical in ages, yeah. and I had just forgotten what an emotion it was to feel that energy from live actors, yeah. and feel yeah. it going back from the audience to them. It was, yeah. I cried like a baby through that whole show. And now when I hear the music, I can't like I get halfway through, like my daughter wants to listen to it, and we get halfway through, and I start to lose it again, yeah, yeah. like that, like that, that. So I was wondering, it's like. How is it like? I mean, obviously, he he seems like he's a down to earth guy from what yeah. you've said. So that was my question. Was like, well, how is it working with a guy who's a certified genius? Well, it was um, 
Not to say you're not, because by the way, I'm not genius. I'm a, I had I'm a, you classified I'm a, as I'm a B plus writer who's very charming in conference rooms. That's <laughs> that, my superpower, right that there. Equals genius. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's I Hollywood manage, genius. I manage up well. I, I, I keep. I, I'm very good at walking into. Um, when I'm not running shows, I tend to consult on shows that are in trouble, and I'm very good at walking into a room and going, you know, it's not that bad. And they go, oh, thank God. And then uh, they, uh, <laughs> they pay me for two weeks before the show shuts down. Um, <laughs> it turned out it was that bad, but you didn't pay me to tell you it was that bad. Uh, so, no, he, he uh, the first episode is a big song, and I sent the script. And, and luckily, we actually had some of the same musical references for the show. And uh, I wrote in the script, like, look, I'm not, a, I'm not a genius, but I think this song is... These three bands combined, uh, Rosario, um, Gabriela, and um, Rodrigo and Gabriela, no, Rodrigo and Gabriela, yeah. and uh, the Black and Tans come fight the Irish bastards, and um, the uh, Great Big Seas Chemical Workers uh, song from 1930s or organizers. And um, here you go, that's a mix, <laughs> uh, and then some lines of dialogue of the character getting into it. And like a couple weeks later, I get an MP3 in my my email box, like, hey man. You know, new baby, can't sleep. I was just up. I just laid down both tracks. It's me doing the call and response. I'm on the piano and I threw in some stuff. And, and like, you know, seven minutes later, my assistant is sobbing as we play this on my oh, phone. Crap. And it's just like, how is he that good? And it's just because he's, he's, that's, he's I know that people good. who are really good at their job. Yeah. That dude was born to do this. Yeah. 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 Although it was very funny because I then, of course, erased the, erased the, erased the, erased the song, right? It's, it belongs in the show. It's, it's super high Holy security God. thing. And my niece found out, like, you know, wait, you have a, you have an unheard Lin Manuel Miranda song, like, oh yeah, but I erased it. And the look of sheer rage <laughs> she gave me at that moment, you know what? Like that dude has fans. You do not mess with his no, fans. Yeah, yeah. And, and from young, young, young to yeah, old, yeah. old, old. Yeah. The, the thing that struck me about when I saw his his show was, it's a straight up opera. There's yeah, only yeah. there's very little talking yeah. that's not on the soundtrack. Yeah, like yeah. there's almost no talking. There's only a couple of pieces. Yeah, a little later there's not, a couple yeah. of little passing. But very few. Yeah, yes. very few. Yep. Uh, I find that's more and more. Like Come From Away is almost an opera. It's almost mm-hmm. an operetta. It's I think I think they're going back that way yeah, right which now. Which is fine. I enjoy it. Uh, I wanted to ask you just a couple weeks ago. Yes. Uh, there was you you linked to a story. Uh, it was when opera when the opportunity were over. Yeah. Uh, uh, expired. Oh yeah, Mars, and I'd written which, that. I'd written yeah. that for Wired. Yeah, and you had written that. You had written a story for Wired like a year earlier. How, yeah. And that. How did that come? Mm. Like that was that opportunity was one of those things that like I'm a space buff. Yeah, and that was one of those those. Uh, you oh, know, so you read I, the story? Oh, I read the story. Oh, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Um, uh, I found it very moving because yeah. I I believe. I, I, I'm a genuine believer in the space program yeah, and yeah. that I believe that we should be doing more. Like, mm-hmm. we should be on Mar- on the moon right now. We should be going to Mars. We should be doing all those things. Uh, so, opportunity and uh, spirit, curiosity, all those. Like, I, I love that we're there. Yeah. And so, when opportunity died, it felt like, you know, I was like, oh, that's a piece of us, yeah. you know, that was leaving. And so, how did you come to, how did you and, come to write that? Yeah, and for those who don't know, the, the story was, well, it's, yeah. a, it's a part of the story. Yeah. So, what happens is, I'm just on Twitter one night, late night, and Adam Rogers, the great Wired uh, editor and science writer, uh, is like on Twitter, like, okay, everybody, uh, it's a couple of years ago, he's like, so my five-year-old son just asked about opportunity and why, like, it, what it was, and he's asked, how are we bringing it back? And I said, hmm. we couldn't, and he's just lost his mind <laughs> that we have abandoned opportunity on Mars. Wow. I have a sobbing child, so somebody give me something here. And I was like, I was like, all right, and I probably had a drink. And I was like, yeah, all right, give me an hour. So the first draft of that story I wrote in an hour to send Adam to read to his son. 
And so, so it had his son's name in it. It was oh. originally Adam and his kid with the characters. Oh, okay. In it, and it was his son's name who's the guy who goes finds it yeah. in the future. And I wrote that, and, and I was like, this, wow, this is kind and also incredibly sweet. And this goes to his memory book, and this is super generous of you. I'm like, no, no, no. I, I, I hadn't written prose in ages, and it was super fun to write. Yeah. And then, so what happened is, a couple of years later, he called me up. He's like, hey, uh, Wired is doing its first all-fiction in a while, and I, I will be the first to admit, he said, somebody's fallen out. Like, he didn't call and said, unanimously, you're one of the best <laughs> science fiction authors we can think of. But he's like, look, we don't have a lot of hopeful stuff. Like, this is a nice tone, and everyone here who's read it loves it. Can we use it? I'm like, yeah, pl- get published and wired? Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, and so it got a really nice response. It, it actually got translated in a couple different languages and, and had a nice following internationally. Um, and, and so that is, again, one of those things where uh, my career is basically... Well, that looks cool. Let me try that, and just yeah. go and not have an enormous amount of success, but learn something from it. Right, and and also get. I have friends who are. I have met people who are fans of that story who don't know me from anything else but that story. So, right. that's one of the things about being a writer now. Where as a writer, you have to develop a bit of a following. You have to like be able to argue that you bring something else to the table. I've got the young Jackie Chan fans. I've got a giant bunch of fans who watch me play role-playing games on the internet. Yeah. You know, both Fiasco and Fate. Um, and the fact I post about Dungeons & Dragons and role-playing design. I'm, an, I'm a geek designer. I hack together games. You know, and it is a wide range. And then the Leverage fans and the Librarians fans, which are totally different fans from Leverage fans. You know, they're just a different group of humans. Sure. Um well, all right. Well, folks, listen. We'll we will uh, we will link. Uh, we'll we'll put a link on our Twitter uh, to John's story when That's this right. episode we're comes very out. Very happy because it it's, out. it's 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 a really it is you should totally read it. Uh, it's a quick read and it's beautiful. It's really fun. And if you, I am embarrassed yeah. to say, as you know, I'm a, also a space yeah. nut. Yeah, I'm embarrassed to say that I have not read that. Oh, and it, I will. I'm leave... not a high profile science fiction writer. <laughs> Friend, <laughs> stuff passes by. Mm-mm. Yeah, I will leave the industry. Until I get a chance to read Thank that. you. I, I will not accept another job. <laughs> yeah, dude, dude. Yeah. You see no. the opulence I live That could in. be a good seven to ten minutes of delay. Right? <laughs> yeah, there you yeah. go. So, Whatever. Yeah, I appreciate you. I mean, seven sacrifice. to ten minutes of me For out of you, this it's industry. Probably, yeah, it's that's probably a lot. Tens of that's thousands of dollars at least, yeah. Dude, I, I, I am truly... I've been I've, I've been in this business not as long as you, John. Let's be honest. You were born You were born into I was. I was born in... I remember when Talkies came in. It was very exciting. And the, and by the way, I do know why not so much the joggers then, but the the boots that the old the directors really used like to wear. Boots. Yeah. I will say I've been in the business long enough that me telling stories about my early career have now approached like mythic uh, standards for my young writers. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I was about thirty. I came out here. I had a couple of years on a sitcom, so I got a two year overall deal. They gave me an office and an assistant in the parking spot over in Paramount. They're like, What? I'm like, Yeah, <laughs> this that, isn't real. That shit doesn't happen anymore. That was that was the last days of the oil boom right there. But, where your your average sitcom could spit out a hundred million dollars. So we, why not? Yeah, yeah, right. It seems like we're in a different kind of boom now. Cause now it's like all these I don't know how lucrative it is on your side. It, look, uh, I think I but think we got Netflix and Hulu and all of these I think things. Years ago I wrote a blog post where I said the future is nobody gets rich every Everybody gets paid. Uh, and and I think we're definitely heading into that where there's so many more jobs, but the economy has changed so much. I mean, yeah. I don't know if remember the, the writers almost struck last year, and the big yeah. thing they were striking about was uh, you know, now development takes so long. Yes. Or they will write something and then not shoot it for another six months, and they're holding the staff and like, well, we paid you. Like, well, you paid me for 20 weeks worth of work. Yeah, no. Nah. I gotta live off this for a year and a half. I mean, there's yeah. some showrunners. I'm look, this show, I'm in year two going into three of development. We won't shoot it till next year. Wow. 
So I will probably late this year, actually. But but you know that's you can't just pay me for six months worth of work for four for four years worth of work no, to make. Not. By the yeah. way, ten episodes of television. Right. So you know this is why we had to basically threaten a strike if you didn't release people to go to other jobs. Yeah, right. If you didn't pay people their guild minimum if they were on active, you know, if you wanted to keep them exclusive, you had to pay them. Right. Uh, so the the economics has shifted radically. The budgets are either huge or small. Um, you know, you have to learn a lot about how tax credits work now. Like I've got one show uh-huh. we're cobbling together and I was on the phone the other day and I was like, all right, so we have the international distributor. We have NBC international for the territories they don't cover. We have a Canadian domestic, so we're Canadian content and we have an American domestic, but for a limited window, only the, only during the summer and two weeks <laughs> after that, that, do I have that right? And they're like, yep, we almost have all the money. I'm uh-huh. like, well, where am I I'm supposed to, who's left? Yeah. And there were like two other ways to distribute the show that were available. I would literally hate that part of your job. It it is not fun, but it is if you want control. Sure. If you want to not be a dude chasing work and be a person who makes work, it is the part of the job you have to learn now. And luckily, I have a very smart uh, person, Jen Cord, who works with me and runs the company. Uh, and then uh, Alex Court, who happens to be our husband, I hired him on another gig. He was working with Thrillbent, actually, yeah. software guy. Yep. Um, was is our head of physical production because he used to work with line producers, and, and he watches the budgets and all the rest of that stuff. Um, and the, the whole machine operates towards making sure at some point I'm not chasing a gig. I'm mm-hmm. making gigs, you know, right. that are generating passive income and making jobs for other writers. Because, right. you know, the thing I loved when I was working on Leverage was most of my writers went on to be showrunners. And, you know, we, we had a good, Chris Downey and I had like a good run there. Uh, and I liked teaching people the tricks of how to go run a show. Because showrunning is a different bear than just writing. Uh, how so? And let's define showrunning. Because I think probably some of our listeners are not necessarily Hollywood people who sure. don't necessarily. Showrunning, that, every, that there's one person, executive producer, executive producer, writer. It depends sometimes they're not a writer. Who is the showrunner? And the, the thing I always say is uh, the showrunner is the person who picks up the phone no matter what. Uh, and deals with whatever problem comes down the pike and balances the creative needs of the show with the economic requirements of the corporation that you're working with and also develops the personal relationship with the actors and is the the creative voice of the show and more and more uh, the business sort of center of the show. Got it. Um, So, and they set the overall tone. They do all the rewrites. They do the, it's basically, if you have a question, you ask the showrunner. Uh, and and it is a, it's it's a difficult job, and I know lots of really great writers, genuinely much better writers than myself, who have done it and then said, "I will never do that again." Wow. Yeah. My joke is always, if you're a showrunner for five years, you will never get this phone call. Hey, good news! You will never hear that for the next five years. Yeah. If your phone rings, it's like. Oh man, and you pick it up and you find out what location you lost or why the scripts are behind or what the budget problem is or an actor won't come out of their trailer and you know how you're going to deal with it. Right. So so but, but that's it. You're basically the the baseball manager of that show. Gotcha. Very good definition. And you will take that stress for the controls for getting really getting a chance to do the thing yeah, that you, you really get want to, to do. Yeah, you know, the thing I get to do as a showrunner is is set the tone and the and the themes and you know, uh, big input on the casting, although less so on broadcast shows because they have their lists and that's a lot of money and they tend to go like, take this person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, and also bring on other writers whose voices you you think are interesting. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, you know the our, our staff for King Killer is remarkably diverse, uh, and Jen did a great job putting that staff together. All writers I'd read, but she kind of put the first list together. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the writers is First Nations; he's Cherokee, and it was interesting because one of the characters is kind of from a marginalized group, and his feedback is like, "Hey, man, you know, you don't want to write stereotype stuff, but this is what it's like to be as part of an out group." 
Oh wow! And I'm like, well, I'm a 52 year old white guy. I wouldn't have known that. Thanks, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. Cool. Like, yeah. and and that's. I think that is the thing is. People go, oh, they're forcing diversity on me. It's like, no, dude, you live in a diverse world. Yeah. yeah. Like, your job is to, re- if your job is an author, is to represent the story you want to tell in your head, fine. Write your show. But if you really think your job as an author or screenwriter or producer is to represent the bigger world out there, then you need other people's viewpoints because the world's bigger than you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get unexpected stuff. Like I said, I do it for the surprise. I do it for the fact that at least, I always say a, a writer in my room I'm waiting for your first really big mistake. Like, like I want to read a script and I'm like, oh, that's a bad idea, but good swing. Like, you know, stop trying to write to make me happy huh. and, and just take a big goddamn swing I wouldn't have taken. Wow. And it's probably wrong. But, like, that's, that's the voice. Right. You know, uh-huh. that's, where, that's the writer you're going to be. You know, there's a, there's a thing I really believe is your mistakes are your style. You know, it's just you learn to turn your mistakes into a style <laughs> and, and turn it into your unique voice. So, and that's a lot of the fun of show running is being part of that creative upbringing, creative process. Do you, have you ever taught like a class in exactly that? Because like taught, just I, the few things you've just said now would really be helpful to a lot I of taught, I, it was very nice, the, the, um, the LA, uh, there's an LA creative um, high school in town. I can't remember exactly where it is. It's, it's the uh, LA. Uh, Not LACMA. No, not LACMA, but LAXA. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it's LAXA. It's, it's way the hell downtown. Yeah, it's by Cal State yeah. LA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's exactly yeah. there. They they were nice enough to have me come down and do a, a class, uh-huh. and we actually had a lot of fun. We broke an entire. I taught I taught them how to break a TV show, and so we created and broke all the characters and the arcs and stuff for a TV show in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and certainly one of the things when I was blogging and going to be starting the blog up again soon because I just am sick of writing in tiny Twitter chunks. Uh, <laughs> I was a lot of what I was doing was much like John August and Craig and the other guys. I was writing about screenwriting, uh-huh. so there's a big chunk of stuff on my sh- on my blog, uh, which is goes Google Google Kung Fu Monkey John Rogers. It'll pop up. I haven't I haven't updated it. In it's a great years. blog. That's that's how I I think I learned about you through Blue Beetle, and then I went to and, and then I, I found did, Kung Fu Monkey. I, I did a lot yeah. of process stuff after yeah. every episode of Leverage. I would answer. Every question that came in. So sometimes 200 questions I'd answer. And it was writing questions. And it was so, it was good because fan culture hadn't crossed that boundary yet of ownership. Mm-hmm. It was very, and I also kept a very mediated space. Like if somebody gets snarky, out. So uh-huh. it was mean to another poster, out. I was like, this is my house. You can come into my house. You can ask me questions. You can be a little snarky, but you yeah. gotta, we all got to be cool. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, for a bunch of, almost all the episodes of Leverage, I answered every question the viewers had afterwards about, why did you write it this way? How did this happen? Where did that yeah. set come from? Because I like, I, that's what I would have wanted as a kid. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so. And that's what pe- people need it. Yeah. In, in, like in the industry. Like it, just a few, seriously, the, a few of the things that you just said are very important for people to hear who are in that industry. Uh, I, 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 I am a pedantic bastard in a room. So if you ever get in a writer's room <laughs> with me, I will lecture the hell out of you. Oh, I won't. Be a writer. I won't yeah. Then I won't. But any young writer out there who wants to be bored shitless but wants to stare at me and pretend they're amused, you come right in. (laughs) Absolutely. Is there a – we're going to wrap your time up here soon. I know that you are what you call a very busy man. I'm a very busy – I'm not as busy as you. I mean, I don't require a piggybackman, but I I, I am a little stacked up, I have to admit. I am very busy. I can tell. I can tell. Is there there any, uh, like, dream project? The one you're working on right now might be It's pretty great. It sounds pretty good. It's pretty great. Um, There's one – 
Uh, I have chased for years. Uh, it is a, a show, and we actually have it in development someplace, um, set in Shanghai in the 1930s. Oh, wow. You know, it's my Deadwood. It's the show I researched for uh. seven years. It's the show that, you know, I know that city backwards and forwards. I have an original 1930s map of Shanghai on the wall of my, my room and in, in my office, in my, in my home office. It is... It was a free city. It was one of the two cities in the world you didn't need a passport to get into. And every uh, millionaire and entrepreneur and businessman and movie star and singer and con man and criminal and drug dealer and refugee and war criminal was in that city for that like 10 years. Yeah. Wow. And so, you know, it's, what, it's really a show about, you know, who are you when you live in a city with no rules? What do you become? Wow. And then because we know in 1937 the Japanese invade, right. it's an actually an apocalypse show that we know is coming. So we start oh with these God. characters and watch like, all right, we see who they become. And then when the world ends, who are you on the day? Who Do you help people escape? Do you try to escape yourselves? Do you fight? Do you die? Do you hide? Like We've followed these people for these years. We've made our judgments. And then who are they when effectively their world ends? Yeah. And that's, that's just uh, the, the Shanghai at that time is an endless font of – almost unbelievable stories about much larger-than-life characters from Emily Hahn, who is basically what every 1930s female smart-talking reporter is based on her, uh, to, um, you know, uh, Big Ears Do, who was the biggest opium dealer, and the way he controlled the market, he got appointed as the head of the anti-opium task force for China. <laughs> oh, boy. And then uh, Tugun Cohen, um, the great Jewish, the great Cockney Canadian Jewish uh, Chinese gunslinger. Wow. Um, he was called Two Guns. Two because. Gun, because he carried two guns. He uh, was Sun Yat-sen's bodyguard uh, as a Canadian. Uh, he had been involved in the triads in Canada. And then during the, the um, post-revolution period, uh, he post-anti-dynasty uh, revolution, not the communist revolution, he was Sun Yat-sen's bodyguard uh, after an altercation in which uh, uh, Monty had, had um, emptied one gun. Uh, Sun Yat-sen said you should carry two and got him two pearl-handled revolvers he wore for the rest of his career. Uh, his, if you want to, um, uh, Tugun Cohen, if you Google him, I think his gravestone is on, is in the Wikipedia article because it's fantastic because it's this giant black monolith and the, uh, the dedication is in English for his Cockney and British and Canadian. Uh-huh. Uh, Hebrew, as he was one of the great proponents of Israel and is actually one of, a very little known fact, one of the guys that helped form Israel was responsible for the UN vote to help form Israel wow. and Chinese because he was so beloved by the Chinese. Uh, and uh, I believe the, his moniker there in Chinese is, is stone fist. That's and, and it's like, this is a guy who lived life all the way out, man. Yeah, all man. he lived every inch of that life. Well, I, well, all right. First of all, count me in for this show. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, but yeah, I've always been fascinated by like the, because the, the, uh, a lot of Jews fled uh, yeah. to, to Shanghai. And, and I, and, interestingly, and, and I that was, was one of, yeah. a lot of those were my primary sources because what happened in the 1970s, a lot of those older Jews wrote their memoirs about their time in Shanghai. And so when I was doing research, a lot of those memoirs, which were read by almost no one but self-published or published by small Jewish presses, right. uh, were these things that I was drawing on. And it's really fascinating because, you know, the Jews who went to Shanghai because they couldn't go anywhere else because um, other countries shamefully did not accept them. Yeah. Um, they actually were treated fairly well because they were, they were in the Jewish section in the international uh, quarter. A lot of them lived in the French uh, settlement also. Um, but at one point, the Japanese have taken over. Now, the Japanese were not kind to the Chinese in any way, shape, or form. I'm not right. going to valorize them. But it was essentially the guy who, uh, I believe it was an, an admiral, 
who was in charge of Shanghai took it very seriously. This was Hare's territory. And at one point, the Nazis showed up and like, we'll take the Jews now, please. And this guy went, no, they're mine. No, that's, what are you, what are you, crazy? What are you, just take, no, you can't take my Jews. And the Nazis are like, but we're really into taking Jews. And the guy's like, no, that's, fuck off. And so that's one of the reasons that those people survived was this sort of weird turf war. Wow. Uh, but, but also the fact that, you know, at the time, there were only two places you could go without a passport. I think it was Macau and then, and then Shanghai. And uh, because the, in order to stop Jews from fleeing, a lot of countries would just not issue them a passport. Right. Uh, and as a result, the one place they could go was Shanghai. Uh, there's many, many great books written about the, the, the Jewish experience in yeah. Shanghai during yeah. that period of time. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. Wow. Well, I mean, we could go on and on. We, but I mean, we can't. But, but legally, we can't. Legally. Legally. And I can't even, I can't, as the judge, I can't even allow it. No. Yeah. Uh, so... I guess we got to wrap it up. Thank you for giving me a drink in the middle of the day. This is a lovely excuse. You and I had never met until this very day, and now I'm sad that we had not. I'm I'm very. I'm not going to lie to you. I like you, kid. I like you. <laughs> I have to I say, like I very most people in a mansion this stately would yeah. go with kind of a gauche over decoration, but this nope. place is tasteful. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> other, other than all the gold, other than all, the, but yeah. you know what? It's a gold leaf. It's not yeah. that. Yeah, that it's, it's, a leaf. It's, true. it's not it's that true. shitty Trump gold brick. Oh, this, yeah. this yeah. is like Versailles in here, man. Oh yeah, this is very I will classy. never go shitty Trump brick. I appreciate that. <laughs> I refuse. Gary's got standards. Oh, yeah, nice. I really do. And no, thanks for having me on. I will come back and have a drink in the middle of the day with you guys anytime you ask. Fun. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, John, where can people find you on the uh, social You can medias? find me on the Twitters on uh, as John Roger one J-O-N-R-O-G-1. Uh, if you want to go look at my old blog post, like I said, I haven't updated in ages. I'm going to start it up again. But if you want to read a lot about screenwriting, uh, go Google Kung Fu Monkey uh, John Rogers, and my blog will pop up, and there's a tag for screenwriting on the side. That's all those posts. Um, that's about it. I'm not on I – don't, I don't use Facebook. Um, uh, Facebook is evil. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not on the gram because I'm not 17. Okay. So, you know, uh, that's pretty much it. But I sound off like a bastard on Twitter. So, oh, yeah. you're good on uh, you're good yeah. on Twitter. Well, it's funny because yeah. every now and then I write, uh, when I wrote the big thing about the, the idiots thinking that black people stole the election in, in yeah. Georgia, I wrote that big thing. Huffington Post picked it up and a bunch of people picked it up. And I got a bunch of new followers. I'm like, people, there's going to be a lot of Dungeons and Dragons and cartoons the next two weeks. You you might have followed me thinking there's going to be some trenchant commentary coming up. That was it. I I shot, (laughs) I I pretty much shot my wad for the the year on that one. You're selling yourself short. Folks, actually, John, if you're not following John on Twitter, you should. I I know a lot of interesting people. I tend to like, that's my, the thing I use for Twitter is to find cool stuff and distribute it. That is, rather than me sounding off, my favorite thing is to go like, well, people should know more about this and kick it out. I, I have found a lot of good things through your Twitter. Through the Glad it's working. Yep. Uh, Gary. Uh, I'm going to make it quick. I have the card you printed here. All right. I am super young, unlike old man Rogers. Yep. So I am on Instagram (laughs) at Gary Anthony Williams. Yeah. At Gary Anthony Williams on Instagram. I'll flip over your card now. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) Here's my cute face on Twitter. And there I'm at Gary A. Williams. Fantastic. Yeah. Wow, nice. Elliot. Gary. Elliot Blake. Yep. If I'm not mistaken, yes. on Instagram, you're... Yeah. Elliot Blake. And if also not mistaken, on Twitter... Elliot Blake. E-L-L-I-O-T-B-L-A-K-E. But where would they find this show? On the show. If you were looking for this show on Twitter, you could follow, uh, find it at Gary and Elliot. If you were looking for it on Instagram, because you're very young. 
Uh, you can find it at Day Drinking with Gary and Elliot. If you are looking for us on the web because you're very old, yeah, uh, you can find us at daydrinkingwithgaryandelliot.simplecast.fm. Is, is Gary and Elliot uh, an and or an ampersand? It is uh, an and. All the way. You know, you got to ask. Yeah, that yeah, is yeah, very chance. good. Very good. Uh, uh, and then, if you're very very old, uh, you can email us <laughs> at <laughs> daydrinkingwithgaryandelliot at gmail.com. Uh, How about your book? Oh, my book. I didn't really do a too too hard of a plug uh, for it. Uh, Let today. me do it. Well, Let go me for do it. Elliot yeah. Blake's create one. I gotta say, I am I am a big fan. I'm purchasing this right, purchasing this right away based on the strength of your improvised cocktail. Excellent. Like, you you can purchase it then on Amazon. Cool. Or what's you the name go, of it again? I talked over you on the title. Create one hundred cocktails. Full title. A home bar guy's deep dive into the art of cocktail creation. Uh, I am gonna, I am gonna vouch for this book and buy myself a copy. I was very impressed. I am Gum, so, Gum so Road. If you don't, you. If, if you, you don't like a PDF, yep, yep. yep, exactly. Gum Road. Uh, all right, well, uh, folks, if you've enjoyed the show uh, and uh, you have not subscribed, please hit that subscribe button. That helps us find more listeners. And uh, I will write a review and write a review. Reviews are very well. important. Yeah, absolutely. Write us a review. Give us a star rating uh, on uh, uh, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, wherever you uh listen to the show uh 68 stars i think is the maximum 68 i think it's 68 so 68. uh hit hit all of them yeah top them up all right thanks for listening everybody yeah, thanks, John, for, thanks, thanks for coming Love thanks for being here guys do what we did have a day drink but when you day drink yep. remember to do so responsibly, responsibly.